0: Good afternoon, Your Honor, and may it please the Court, Adam Landis from Landis, Rath, and Cobb, uh, Counsel to FTX Trading Limited and the Associated Debtors. Um, Your Honor, we filed an amended agenda in the case uh, today, uh, noting that items 1 through 5 are adjourned, Uh, items 6 through 8, 11, 12, and 13 have been resolved with orders entered, for which we thank Your Honor um, for, for taking care of that. Uh, we only have three matters going forward. Number nine, with respect to uh, the debtor's request for extension of their exclusive periods to file and solicit a plan of reorganization. Um, number 10, the stay relief motion. And number 14 is a status conference with respect to emergent. Uh, before we head into the agenda proper, uh, Mr. Diederik would like to address the court with an update as to matters since we last appeared at an omnibus hearing. Okay. Thank you.
1: Mr. Diederik.
2: Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Uh, Andy Dietrich for the debtors with me as my partner, Brian Gluckstein. Um, I think we have a presentation. Does it – do I press it forward? Does it – it's (laughs) not it? Remove that. Thank you. Your Honor, it's been three months since we were before you at an omnibus hearing. Uh, We'd like to thank, Your Honor, for the efficient manner in which the cases have been conducted so far. The Court has issued more than 38 orders on certification of counsel, including 30 orders that reflected negotiated solutions with stakeholders. As a result, the debtors have been able to focus almost entirely on the business of the case rather than court appearance. The first months of the case have been extraordinarily busy and productive. There's an overwhelming number of ongoing work streams and novel issues in every discipline. Today the situation has been stabilized, and the dumpster fire is out. And as I will explain in a moment, we anticipate filing a planned reorganization in July. I would like to spend some time on a case update for the court. First, and perhaps most important, are assets available for stakeholder recovery. Our estate consists of many investments, businesses, and causes of action that have not not yet been monetized. Valuing these now is impossible. However, we are tracking distributable assets, cash, uh, Class A or Category A cryptocurrency, which we defined in previous uh, submissions, and securities. Here's a chart of these assets at petition date value including cash receivables from the settlements and transactions recently approved by the court. We now stand at $6.2 billion, an increase of $800 million from the update to the court in January. This increase in value is more significant if we take into account current asset pricing. On this next slide, at current prices, our distributable assets have increased to $7.3 billion, a $1.9 billion increase, from my January briefing. What goes up can go down. Prices will fluctuate during these cases. As we will discuss in a moment, one of the important tasks of the debtors is being a good and prudent custodian of $7.3 billion of asset value. We will be increasing distributable assets, hopefully dramatically, as the case progresses. But it's also important for us not to lose what we have now. Next, Your Honor, I'd like to review some significant events by subject matter. The first is our investigative work. In addition to everything else, the debtors are conducting an extraordinarily complicated forensic investigation in coordination with multiple law enforcement agencies in the United States and around the world. Early on in this case, the Board of Directors decided it was in the interests of the estate to expend the resources necessary to create a centralized collection of information, under the debtor's control and to make this information available to law enforcement agencies in a transparent and reliable manner. The debtors believe that this cooperation has and will continue to benefit the estates economically, especially as we approach the formation of a plan and the coordination of the distribution of estate property with the distribution of property subject to criminal forfeiture. Government cooperation is in our financial interest. The investment has been substantial, Over 1.3 terabytes of data has been collected and compiled. Much of the information has been provided only to government authorities, sometimes directly and sometimes in summary presentations. The debtor is limited in what it can say publicly and provide to certain parties in interest because of the pending government investigations. However, the debtors were able to publish earlier this week the first interim report of Mr. Ray to the independent directors a report that focuses on control failures at the FTX Group prior to filing. The gist of this report is clear. Mr. Bankman-Fried repeatedly, pervasively, and often persuasively lied to stakeholders and the customers and creditors in order to maintain a digital con game. The FTX exchanges appear to the user as legitimate In fact, superficially, they appeared to process trades and information more quickly and conveniently than competitors. The app worked beautifully. But in truth, it was a facade, a digital Potemkin village, or perhaps more apt, a video game. Behind the user interface, there was no correspondingly sophisticated reality, no equivalent process for segregating assets or reconciling trades, no reliable relationship between the positions reflected in the online game and the underlying positions held in the real world. The debtors are working on a second report that will focus on the violation of basic principles of asset segregation. The debtors will endeavor to make these reports available on a rolling basis and hope they will facilitate the common understanding necessary for productive plan discussions. Other developments include the guilty pleas of Mr. Singh joining Mr. Wang and Ms. Ellison. Those who have pled guilty also have agreed to provide assistance to the government, and Mr. Wang in particular has provided material assistance to the debtors as well, helping us locate additional assets. And we've seen additional charges against Sam bateman fried We also appreciate the U.S. criminal authorities working in parallel with us to secure assets. This includes approximately 100 million of cash in the name of FTX Digital Markets, as well as the often discussed hood stock. From the debtor's perspective, Your Honor, we see no tension between the debtors and the U.S. Attorney as to whether particular assets are recovered by the U.S. Attorney or by the debtors. In this case, we believe victims entitled to restitution and creditors entitled to a distribution in Chapter 11 are functionally equivalent. We will continue to work with U.S. Attorney on this basis. Operationally, We've reconciled customer balances across an incredible 10 million accounts. We have a considerable cost and expense fortified the AWS security environment. We've retained a core team of continuing employees, and Your Honor has approved a curb We've rationalized our use of office space and our footprint. And, importantly, we have returned cryptocurrency to customers in Japan by opening for withdrawals. Japan has a cryptocurrency regulatory environment that was responsive to the Mt. Gox insolvency. Cryptocurrency generally must be kept in segregated cold storage and customers have a clear ownership right in the cryptocurrency under Japanese law. As a result, Japan is the one place in the world where cryptocurrency was actually kept segregated by FTX and the segregation was never broken. The debtor's also been working very hard to open withdrawals of segregated cash in Cyprus, where there are different but also effective customer protections with respect to cash deposits. These jurisdictions, however, are notable exceptions. Everywhere else, the situation as to customer rights and asset segregation is unclear. Accounting and tax are things normally taken for granted by lawyers. But the debtors now are not reviewing balance sheets because there are no reliable balance sheets. Instead, the debtors have been building balance sheets from primary source material. That material includes banking records, AWS, the cloud environment, QuickBooks, and a category of unstructured data, which is accountants speak for emails, text, and even chat room entries. The initial fruits of this effort were the reports the debtors made public on customer shortfalls on the exchanges, and the schedules and statements filed only last month. Efforts now underway include recreation of inter-silo and inter-debtor transactions, led by our financial advisor, Alvarez & Marsal, the development of historical financial statements, led by a team of forensic accountants at Alex partners, and efforts to put the debtors in a position to file accurate tax returns, led by Ernst Young. As I mentioned previously, one of the important tasks of the debtors is managing $7.3 billion in effectively liquid assets. Over 75% of our cash is in 345A compliant accounts, which in the current banking environment, the protections of 345 seem especially prudent. About $500 million of our cash is held outside of 345A compliant accounts pursuant to our cash management order. Uh, we continue to examine whether or not we can move more of that cash into 345A accounts. Our cryptocurrency, the debtors hold $1.6 billion in cryptocurrency at current market values in cold storage controlled by the debtors. The remaining Category A cryptocurrency is staked or on third-party exchanges. And we may migrate that into cold storage over time, but it's impractical to do it at the current moment. The Board is monitoring all of these exposures, taking expert advice on cryptocurrency custody and security risks, and discussing the risks involved and potential alternatives with the Committee and other stakeholders. These assets will continue to grow. Avoidance actions and other outbound litigation will be an important source of recovery for creditors. Actions so far include our $460 million settlement with Modulo, a $53 million cash settlement with avoidance actions against three other Chapter 11 debtors. These include a $445 million administrative preference claim into the Voyager bankruptcy and substantial claims against BlockFi and Genesis. These early avoidance actions are the tips of the icebergs. We have reviewed substantially all the historical off-change transactions by the debtors at this point. All the transactions that we believe may be avoidable And the facts of these suggest compelling causes of action relating to several billion dollars of lost value. We also are advancing our work to review preferential transactions on the exchanges themselves. Finally, in addition to the grayscale litigation, which we've commenced, and then finally turnover actions. uh, One of the most difficult issues that we've faced is that we continue to discover assets of the debtors that were held by nominee owners on behalf of Alameda and FTX. One example is the court's recent authorization of the turnover of an account at OKCoin, including over $150 million of cryptocurrency held in the name of an individual, but belonging to Alameda. We'd like to thank the dozens of exchanges and other parties that have been cooperating with us in these activities. We also have many valuable assets to sell. The court has approved the 96 million dollar sale of our position in Mistin Labs, and the 45 million dollar sale of a position in certain Sequoia funds, we received. Um, we continued. We have a, as we've said before, a very substantial set of venture book investments. We have now reviewed substantially all of those investments and are trying to decide the path forward on a venture investment by venture investment basis. The numerous asset sale procedures that have been approved by the court, we've used for five million dollars of proceeds so far. Although there's dozens of transactions under discussion, and then finally we have ongoing sale processes as announced that have yet to reach their conclusion. These include the transactions that we've noticed that we've mentioned before, as well as token investments um, and other and other stray investments of various sorts. So, where is all this going? We stand here today in the middle of April. In the second quarter, the debtors complete the 90-day review period we set for internal discussions concerning the continued operation of the exchanges, discussions in which the committee has been an active participant. We'll be discussing next steps and alternatives for the potential restart or recapitalization of the exchange, uh, conventional ideas and novel ideas with the committee and other stakeholders over the coming weeks. We also are going to start plan discussions later this quarter. Our goal is to file with the court a preliminary plan of reorganization in July. We would like to set a bar date promptly. Our current expectation is that we will set a non-customer bar date at the end of July. Our customer bar date requires the creation of a bespoke claims portal and raises a number of complicated issues. We're preparing the portal in consultation again with the committee and want to have an operating demo to run through prior to launch. So we anticipate the customer bar date, like the government bar date, will be at the end of September. That's a bifurcated bar date process, but it allows us at least to get the information that we're going to yield, the non-customer bar date will yield. This is in part because the uh, level of information we have about non-customer claims is, um, let's just say, it will be benefited by the bar date process as we start to decide, we have a pretty good idea now of the nature of customer claims against the estate, but the nature of non-customer claims, we have a lot less certainty. And so we've bifurcated the bar date so we can approach the plan process, having a better sense of how significant are non-customer claims, in particular, um, loan counterparty and other claims into Alameda. We're aiming to have a disclosure statement filed in the fourth quarter, a disclosure statement hearing in the first quarter of 2024, a plan solicitation that bridges the quarters, and finally, plan confirmation in the second quarter of 2024. Now these are of course an aspirational calendar, but we believe it's a sensible calendar. And we believe um, the filing of a plan early is important given the nature of the case. So far in the case, we've avoided serious litigation with economic parties. As we've considered internally at great length, the central legal issues in the cases, such as the nature of customer entitlements, the distinction or lack of distinction between legal entities, they all raise significant equitable as well as legal questions. The same is true for stakeholder assertions of constructive trust, a phrase that we've heard, Your Honor, from dozens of different stakeholders all across the capital structure seeking to elevate their own claim. The debtors believe that discussion, settlement, and if necessary litigation of all of these issues will be easier if we first table a plan of reorganization that shows all stakeholders and potential litigants the big picture of how they and others will be treated. We need to show stakeholders that plan first and resolve disputes about the plan second, given our facts. Throughout this process, asset recovery efforts will continue. Um, that's all I have, Your Honor. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that we, at least, were able to tell Your Honor and stakeholders not just something about the history of what's accomplished, but a roadmap going forward. So, absent questions from Your Honor, I'll turn to today's agenda.
1: Let me just ask a question about the uh, exchange restart. What uh, what does that entail? How th- how will it work? Do customers will they be able to
2: withdraw funds? Are there
1: coin that's being held in the exchange? What's the anticipation of how that's going to
2: play, play out? The short answer is we don't know yet. So the there's two exchanges, of course. There's actually more than two exchanges. There's two primary exchanges, .com and the US exchange. The options being considered include um, a restart of the exchange from an operational and a functional perspective it is likely that requires the raising of significant capital. There's a question posed whether the estate's capital should be used for that or whether it should be third party capital. There are some people that look at it as an M&A transaction. Can we dispose of the assets, including the going concern value of the estate for proceeds to the estate and distribute those proceeds? There are possibilities that customers could have uh, an option to take part of their proceeds um, in, you know, that they would otherwise receive in cash from the estate and receive from some kind of an interest in the exchange going forward. Um, there are as many opinions on this, I think, as there are professionals involved in the case, and that's a lot. Um, so it's a very, you know, I don't think we have an answer at this time. What we have committed to do. Um, we spent the last about 90 days, that period, the 90 day period we gave to kind of the initial consideration of this is expiring and we're going to sit down with the committee and other stakeholders and think about it. Um, the, there's also a sequence and a timing question. So there are some that believe that if there's anything to be done with the exchange, it should be done quicker, uh, as quickly as possible, which might imply some kind of 363 or other architecture. And others, um, um, you know, that believe perhaps the exchange should be coupled with other assets um, as opposed to just being, you know, the exchange itself. So a long-winded way to say, Your, Your Honor, that all options are on the table, but we don't have any any particular path forward at this time. Does there
1: need to be a resolution of the – I know there's litigation pending about whether coin that's being held on the in the exchange yep. is property of the estate or is it customer's property? Does that need to be resolved before we can reopen the
2: exchange? No, I don't think so. I I think that it depends on the nature and the structure of that transaction, right? Um, And that's again one of the things we're thinking about is if we want to do something with the exchange in advance of what I think is already an aggressive timeline for the plan as opposed to waiting to resolve when we resolve the plan, then I think we're all gonna have to get together and come up with a way to monetize, if you will, the estate's investment in the, the estate's the value the estate has in the exchange in a way that is without prejudice to the plan issues. Um, but there's obviously a relationship. Thank you. So on the agenda today, Your Honor, we only have three items, as I think uh, Mr. Landis mentioned. Uh, the first item, agenda nine, is exclusivity. Uh, then we have uh, uh, Mr. Bickman-Free's motion for relief from the automatic stay and then a status conference discussion in the emergent case, agenda item 14. So, Your Honor, I'll turn to the exclusivity motion filed the docket uh, 846. The debtor's request to extend the exclusivity period by six months is unopposed. Uh, the committee did file a statement to which we responded. An absent question from the court, we'd ask the motion be entered. Okay. I don't have any questions. Did the committee
1: want
3: to be heard on that? Uh, we would like to, Your Honor. Uh, yes, thank you. Your Honor, Chris Hansen with Paul Hastings on behalf of the official committee. I'll try to make this brief, Your Honor. Um, The committee's statement that was filed in connection with exclusivity was accurate and not misleading. It was direct and aimed at helping the court to try to understand the committee's frustrations to date. It was also aimed at holding the debtors to their newly minted timeline and their commitment to be more transparent with committee members than they have been to date. Unfortunately, uh, the debtors filed a surprisingly insecure response that the committee believes is disingenuous in some ways, and we have no choice but to correct the record. As we noted in our statement, the primary issue the committee has had with the debtors is their lack of trust and engagement at the committee member level. The debtor's own exhibit highlights their concern. Of the 1,636 documents provided to the committee as listed on the exhibit, only 21 of them, 1.3% of the total were seen by the members of the committee as designated as non-professionalized only. Of those 21, two were the so-called UCC reports that the debtors referred to a few times in their response. To be clear, those are not really UCC reports. They were debtor documents that were shared with the members of the committee on the same day that they were released to the public and accompanied by two of the three meetings that were listed on the debtor's exhibit which were walkthroughs of the documents hours before they were publicly released on January 17th and March 2nd. Obviously, if the committee members have been given advanced access to the decks, they could have asked more intelligent questions, made the calls more productive, and provided valuable input on those presentations, but they were not provided with that opportunity despite the requests of the committee professionals to do so. The only other meeting of the three that are referenced in the deck happened on March 30th after the committee delivered the debtors a draft reservation of rights on exclusivity that was far more strident than the one that it ultimately filed. At the time of the delivery of the draft document, the committee requested a case timeline and a meeting with Mr. Ray. The debtors did not disclose a case timeline to the committee professionals at that point, but they did, however, provide a high-level timeline when the call with Mr. Ray took place a week later. The debtor's reply would have the court believe that both its detailed timeline and the call with Mr. Ray were products of the debtor's own volition, but they simply were not. They were prompted by the committee, and we are pleased with Mr. Dietrich's disclosure of the timeline today. That's the kind of information that we believe the court deserves and that we believe the public deserves and that we believe all the creditors and the customers deserve as well. However, as an example of how the committee members have been helpful to the debtors, which is not referenced in any of the pleadings, is the situation that unfolded over the weekend after the Silicon Valley bank failure. That weekend, Mr. Ray reached out to the committee professionals and the committee members, and a productive dialogue occurred where the expertise of the committee members was helpful to the debtors in navigating the unique situation that confronted them with respect to certain stablecoins. It was and remains the committee's hope that similar, interactive, roll-up-the-sleeves and get-to-work meetings like those will continue. The committee also takes issue with what the debtors seem to be trying to convey in their reply as to the committee's role, which is simply one of administrative oversight. As the court knows, that is definitively not what a creditors committee is limited to. Section 1103 of the code provides for the non-exclusive and expansive list of topics that are appropriate for a committee, including the investigation of the acts, conduct, assets, liabilities and financial condition of the debtors, the operation of the debtor's business, And any other matter relevant to the case or the formulation of the plan in order to carry out its role as a fiduciary for all creditors in a chapter 11 case similarly section 1109 of the code permits committees to be heard on any issue in the case in the end your honor the committee believes that its members have real world digital asset and cryptocurrency trading knowledge and expertise that can prove helpful to the debtors in addressing the many issues in these cases and to expedite their conclusion the committee looks forward to the forthcoming plan negotiations and the hard work to be done and the many other tasks that are necessary to achieve its goal. One note on the restart of the exchange, Your Honor. Um, the committee does have a subcommittee that is focused exclusively on the restart. It incorporates many of the concepts that Mr. Dietrich discussed, and yesterday we were happy to deliver to the debtors a term sheet on that basis, and we look forward to working with them going forward.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dietrich. Any response? Obviously, I expect the debtors and the committee to cooperate fully and there be a free flow of information between the two. Um, you know, we, I, I, I did not appoint a uh, examiner because we have an independent board of directors and independent CEO running the debtors so um, I expect uh, that there will
2: be an open and free flow of information. And we we will, we we believe we have and we will continue to try our best on that front. The U.S. Trustee, Your Honor, made, I think, a wise choice, appointed a single committee in this case. And we are, despite our growing asset value, far away from an equity distribution, Um, meaning that there should be alignment at a fundamental level between the debtors and the committee, and certainly in our relationship with the professionals. We have had um, what I think is really an open, transparent, from our end, Um, very productive working relationship but we take the feedback um, into account that we should do a better job of maybe perhaps now that the case is established and some of the security and other informational worries are fading in importance um, we can continue to push in involving committee members directly not just the professionals in some of the decisions that we're making
1: Anyone else wish to be heard on the exclusivity motion? I'm satisfied that the uh, requested relief is appropriate. I will enter the order. Has has the form of order been uploaded?
0: Your Honor, I believe it has to the extent it has not. I will get it uploaded.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Your Honor.
2: So I believe the next motion, Your Honor, is from Mr. Bateman Freed's counsel. Yes. So I will leave the podium.
1: Okay?
3: He has been admitted per OPJ. Uh in this case, uh he will be handling uh, item number 10 on the agenda. All right. Thank, Thank you,
4: Your you. Honor. Good afternoon, Your Honor. For the record, Edward Schnitzer from Montgomery McCracken, Walker & Roads on behalf of Samuel Bankman-Fried. We're here today on Mr. Bankman-Fried's motion for relief from the automatic stay to extent applicable to permit insurers to advance and to reimburse defense costs and fees under director and officer's insurance policies. The relief sought is quite customary, as we highlight in paragraph 30 of our motion, including orders entered by this court in other cases. To be clear, Your Honor, Mr. Bankman-Fried is only seeking an order permitting the insurers to advance or reimburse costs. He's not seeking an order determining coverage or an order awarding him $10 million. Specifically, Your Honor, paragraph 2 of our proposed order states, the automatic stay imposed under Section 362A of the Bankruptcy Code does not apply or to the extent it does apply, the automatic stay is lifted and modified solely to the extent necessary to permit and authorize Realm and Beasley to evaluate coverage and to make payments under and in accordance with the terms of the DNA policies to or for the benefit of Mr. Bankman-Free for the reimbursement and payment of any covered, co- any covered defense costs incurred in connection with the pending claims. Your Honor, also contrary to what some of the objecting parties have claimed, Mr. is also not seeking an order to the exclusion of any other insured who might have coverage. Far from it. Mr. simply sought coverage since he had no choice after the debtors refused to indemnify him and refused to stipulate to stay relief. It was not his right or place to seek coverage or stay relief on behalf of any other party other than himself. They are surely free to do so as long as they comply with the bankruptcy code and the policies. Your Honor, why does Mr. need this coverage? because he has been named as a defendant or is otherwise involved in criminal, regulatory, civil, and other actions and proceedings that have resulted in and can be expected to continue to result in significant unreimbursed, unreimbursed legal fees and other expenses. We identified those actions and proceedings in paragraph 16 of our moving paper, and I will not repeat them here. Your Honor, Mr. Bankman-Fried is covered by insurance policies designed to protect against exactly this circumstance. The policies are structured to provide coverage for defense costs in these circumstances so that individual insureds like Mr. Vancouver-Fried can mount an effective defense. There are two policies relative to this motion. The first is the Realm Insurance Policy, Realm Insurance Private Company Management Liability Policy, which was attached to the motions Exhibit B, and the second policy is the Excess Claims Made Directors and Officers Liability Insurance Policy, which was attached to the motions Exhibit C. There are five important parts of those policies that I would like to highlight for the court, which were highlighted in the opening paragraph of our reply papers. First, the policies contractually mandate reimbursement by the debtors of expenses incurred by individual insured as the debtors agree to indemnify all individual insured persons. Second, the policies require the insurers to advance defense costs if the debtors, if the debtors refuse, so that the insureds can mount the defense. Third. The policies prioritize payment as to the individual insured, not the debtors, if, quote, the loss due and owing by the insurer under a liability coverage part exceeds the then remaining limit of liability applicable to such loss. Four, the policies provide that a bankruptcy of the company shall not relieve the insurer of its obligations under this policy. And five, the policies require the company, in this case the debtors, to waive and release the automatic stay with respect to the policy or its proceeds and agree not to oppose or object to any efforts by any insured to obtain relief from the stay. Why are we here, Your Honor? We're here because Mr. Bankman-Fried asked the debtors to indemnify him as they were required to do under the insurance policies, but the debtors refused to do so. After being denied this right, Mr. Bankman-Fried, through counsel, asked debtors counsel to stipulate to relief from the stay, which is also customary in this court as well as other courts, and again, the debtors refused to do so. So it was in light of that, that we had no choice but to file this motion. Whether the court concludes that the proceeds of the policies are property of the state, or no, sorry, Your Honor, whether this court concludes that the proceeds of the policies are not property of the state because coverage is likely to be exhausted by side A claims, or if this court concludes that the proceeds of the policies are potentially property of the state, stay release should be granted so that the policies can be used for the purposes that they were obtained. To provide coverage to individual insured like Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried. Your Honor, as the Eastern District of New York, Eastern District of New York Bankruptcy Court explained in the first central financial case, quote, DNO policies are obtained for the protection of individual directors and officers. In essence, and at its core, a DNO policy remains a safeguard of officer and directors' interests. Your Honor, let me address the elephant in the room. Yes, Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried has been indicted and is a defendant in multiple lawsuits. But Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried has not been convicted of a crime or found civilly liable, contrary to what the objecting parties may have stated in their papers. He is subject to an indictment and only that. As this court isn't aware, an indictment is not a conviction. It's merely an accusation, no different than a complaint. Mr. Bankman Fried, like any other person, is and must be presumed innocent unless and until found guilty of any criminal wrong. He is like any other former Director or officer of a company that seeks access to a DNO insurance policy to pay for legal fees. Coverage under those policies for those legal fees does not, sim- does not change simply because some people hope or believe that Mr. Bankman Freed is guilty. I'd like to address the three responses that were filed, Your Honor. First, the committee objection. As we noted in our reply, we submit that the committee's objection should be rejected as they seek relief on behalf of the debtor believes that the debtor is contractually barred from seeking something that the debtors recognize recognized in their papers.
1: Well, let me ask you about that first, because I question whether or not that provision is even enforceable in bankruptcy. Isn't it void as a public policy issue? How can a debtor, how can a company, say, pre-petition, we're going to agree that if we have property of the estate, we're going to agree to waive our right to seek a stay? To li- or uh, We're going to waive our right to uh, object to someone who wants to lift the state, to pursue those assets. seems to be counterintuitive to the whole purpose of the bankruptcy code.
4: I understood, Your Honor, it's like how I believe uh, agreements to make a debt non-dischargeable are not necessarily enforceable in a bankruptcy. Your Honor, it's possible. We, I, I will admit we did not look into it. The debtors in their papers a- agreed, if PrEP was the only thing that they agreed with us on in their papers. Um, so, Your Honor, it may not be enforceable. Um, we do not rely upon that. We rely upon reasons for why stay relief should be granted here. But I did want to note it. The debtors, um, like I said, did apparently agree with it, so they apparently were comfortable with it. And maybe it's because the policy is going forward post petition, and so you could get into questions there. Uh, but uh, honestly, Your Honor, I don't know, and we're not we're not relying upon that. We're not asking you to grant. We're not asking you to strike all the opposition because of that and grant our relief as effectively unopposed.
1: Okay, well let me ask you another fundamental question then. It has been ruled, the rule in this court uh, at least, and I've ruled the same way, that where a debtor is a co-insured under a policy, it is property of the debtor's estate. And the debtor here is a co-insured under these policies, correct?
4: Yes, correct, John.
1: So they would be under Precedent in this court, it is property of the debtor's estate, right?
4: Your Honor, as we set forth in our paper, we believe because of the the priority of payments that side A will come first, that there will not be. There will not be anything left, likely, for the debtors, and we believe because of that, and there's ample case law to support it, that it's not property of the state, But as we put in our papers, should this court conclude otherwise, that is why we also sought relief from the stay to the extent the proceeds of the policies are fine to be property of the state. They do have a potential interest. We believe it is contingent and it is less than individual insureds, which includes Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried, but does include other members. But Your Honor, to the extent you you conclude that because of that contingent interest, it is property of the state, that is why we also seek state relief, Your Honor, as our alternative ground.
1: Well, doesn't that also contradict your position that you're you're taking that the priority of payments, you're saying, you're saying you, that Mr. Freed, Bankman Freed is not seeking to deplete the $10 million. He doesn't think he, apparently doesn't think he's going to deplete the $10 million. Um, so the priority of payment provision hasn't kicked in yet.
4: Correct, which, it has not. Well, which means
1: anybody can file a claim, including the debtors.
4: Correct. Any, anybody who is permitted to under the policies and under any bankruptcy code provisions that are applicable is permitted to submit a claim, and I would expect that the insurance companies will abide by the policy and review the claims, determine which are appropriate or not, and pay them out at, as they would do as if there was no bankruptcy proceeding. If that means Mr. Bankman-Free receives reimbursement, um, obviously that would be great from my client's perspective. If it means others also receive reimbursement, I'm sure that is great from their perspective. If it means the debtors receive some type of reimbursement for some type of cost that they incur, that, that is also possible. The insurer will, will follow the policies, which is all that we're asking. We're asking for the right to submit the claim and allow them to go forward, because the insurers have specifically told us, and, and we understand why as, as uh, sure, this court, they have told us they will not look at our claims until stay relief is obtained. Okay, go ahead. Your Honor, you touched on the fact that there are, there are potential other parties. Um, that was a point that the committee made in their objection. Um, once again, we don't believe that's a basis to deny the motion. If there are other parties that would like access to the policies, they merely need to comply with the policies and comply with any applicable code provision. And what I mean by that is if they are individuals and they are not being somehow covered by an ordinary course professional, I suppose they would need to file a motion for relief from the stay, be before this court, and if it's granted, then they can do, as- assuming this court grants grants the motion we filed, they would have a right to do it. But our point, Your Honor, is nothing in the relief that we've sought prevents those other parties from doing so, and Mr. Bankman-Fried shouldn't be penalized simply because he filed a motion and others have chosen not to. It honestly surprises us, Your Honor. We filed this motion a while ago. If there were these other parties, I, I don't understand why they haven't filed something, but um, that, that um, you know, that is their choice. What you heard, Your Honor, in, or what you read, Your Honor, I should mm-hmm. say, in the debtors and the committee's papers is there are these other employees who the debtors have chosen to, um, it looks like, effectively indemnify, and they're going to indemnify them by providing them counsel from Covington and Burling as an ordinary course professional, and they've chosen to do that. Um, they've chosen not to indemnify Mr. Bankman-Fried and to challenge his right to get reimbursement, but they've now told you that they're going to seek reimbursement under the policies for at least perhaps some of covington um expenses. Why do I point this out, Your Honor? Because it shows a reason why this instant motion should be granted. I don't think it would be appropriate to have one set of former employees getting legal counsel effectively for free from their perspective, whereas Another set of employees, or in this case, another set of one employee, receiving, having to pay for his own legal counsel and having no right to seek reimbursement. It sh- it, given this unequal treatment, your honor, we believe stay release um, should be granted so that Mr. Bankman-Fried is certainly not worse off than these other employees who are getting this benefit of the legal fee.
1: Well, can I just list the stay for everybody? Say, go follow your claim against the, the insurance policy.
4: Your honor, I. Su- I suppose you could. Um, I, I would submit that I, I, I believe, generally speaking, a motion needs to be filed to seek relief. A motion was not filed for that. I believe it's up to those individuals or entities to file that relief. We did go to the trouble. Again, we went to the trouble because the debtors refused to stipulate to it. Had they told us in response to a request for a stipulation, yes, Mr. Spencer, we think stay relief makes sense. How about we make it for all individual insureds? I would have said yes. I unquestionably would have said yes. I tell you today. I know I would have said yes. They didn't say that. They just said, no, go ahead and file your motion. So I did. If this somehow wants to be converted, and I would be more than happy for this to be one of the, I believe they said there were 30 things maybe that they resolved potentially, I'd be more than happy for this to be 31 if, if I'm counting right. Um, it wasn't yet. If we can make it number 31 today, tell me where to sign, Your Honor. I, w- I, I, I would do so.
1: Well, maybe I need to send everybody out in the hallway for a little bit see so if they can resolve this motion. But go ahead, finish your argument, go ahead.
4: Your Honor, bizarrely the committee suggests that Mr. Bankman-Fried will suffer, the quote is, will suffer no real prejudice if the stay is not lifted. It's hard to respond to that claim because I don't even understand how it could be made given that Mr. Bankman-Fried is a defendant in multiple civil actions, a defendant in various governmental action, and he has to pay for all that legal representation out of his own pocket and have no access to an insurance proceeds of a policy that specifically apply to his current predicament. The hardship is clear and multiple courts have recognized that. By way of example, Your Honor, in Downey Financial Court, Judge Chi stated, quote, the insureds would suffer a very real and easily identifiable hardship if the stay is not lifted. Specifically, the insureds would have to pay 880,000 in defense costs as well as any defense costs incurred subsequent to the filing of this motion out of their own pockets. Your Honor, if I can next move on to the objection filed by the class action plaintiffs, the owner's objection. As we stated in our reply, Your Honor, uh, we submit that objections should be overruled because A, they have no standing to seek the funds under the DNO policies, B, they, wrong their, they wrongly place their interest in potential recoveries in their adversary proceedings ahead of everybody else, including Mr. Bankman-Fried's rights under the DNO policy, and lastly, they falsely claim that Mr. Bankman-Fried has been found liable for quote both civil and criminal unlawful conduct. The simple fact is that it would be patently unfair to allow the class actions to proceed against Mr. Bankrin free, but at the same time deprive him of the right to access the proceeds to defend against these claims. This right to defense was recognized by the Southern District of New York in the MF Global case, and also by this bankruptcy court in Allied Digital, both of which we cited in paragraph 20 of our reply. Lastly, Your Honor, I want to touch upon uh, the debtor's objection. I already mentioned the stay relief, so I won't repeat that again. Um, I've already also mentioned the Covington-Burling issue. I think if If there is another basis for access to the proceeds, claims should be made. Um, I I was a little surprised that the debtor said it would be both unfair and inequitable for you to grant this relief. Again, as we said before, what we think is unfair and unequitable is that Mr. Feud was denied indemnification right. He was then denied the debtors agreeing to to a stipulation and instead the debtors have chosen to indemnify certain employees for whatever reason and provide them with counsel free of charge while at the same time trying to stop Mr. Bankman Freed from having any access to the Dino you know, proceeds. So if there's anything that would be unfair and e- inequitable, Your Honor, it would be to deny this motion with respect to Mr. Bankman Freed. Your Honor, in sum, we respectfully request this court grant the motion and enter the proposed order that was included with the motion. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor.
1: Who wants to go first? Committee or the debtors? Yes. committee
5: Thank you, Your Honor. Ken Pasquale of Paul Hastings for the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors. Um, first, Your Honor, let me just very quickly address the point that the committee shouldn't be heard today. The committee is not a party to the policy. We're a party in interest to the case. There is no reason offered, either in contract or in law, as to why the committee objection shouldn't be heard. And I know, Your Honor, through your questions, uh, it seemed to be recognizing that, but I did want to mention that. I mm-hmm. think, Your Honor, one of your questions... Um, was right on point as well and that is Mr. Bankman-Fried misinterprets the policy. The policy here does not provide any priority to the side A claimants um, in the circumstances in which we stand here at the moment. The priority if any only arises under the terms of the policy if a claim is going to at that point exhaust the policy. So there is a sharing of the 10 million in aggregate proceeds between the side a, directors and officers, and the debtors under side B, C, and D of the policy. And because there is a sharing, um, Your Honor, as Judge Silverstein explained in the Boy Scouts case very recently, the debtor's interest in the proceeds requires protection from depletion and overrides the interest of the directors and officers. That's 642 bankruptcy reporter 504 at 573. So as we stand here today, it's actually the estates that have a priority to the policy, uh, to the proceeds of the policy, not the directors and officers. Given that, your honor, and I think again your question recognized this. There, there's there's no question as a matter of law, and and contract um, that the, the proceeds here are property of this of the estate, and Mr. Bankman-Fried then has the burden of convincing this court that stay relief is appropriate. No evidence has been presented by Mr. Freed in that regard. Um, and so let me hit you know, those points in particular. The, the first, Your Honor, is that, um, excuse me, I just lost my place. Um, there is prejudice to the estates if the stay is lifted and Mr. Freed is able to access the insurance proceeds. For the very simple reason that the debtors will then have to pay the costs of defending various claims, various investigations that are pending now, not hypothetical, but that are pending at the moment, including the class action um, complaint that that the movement mentioned in argument and and, uh, opposed the motion as well. So there's nothing speculative or hypothetical about it. That exists today and absent being able to access this particular policy of these particular uh, debtors, um, the debtors would, the the assets of the estate would be diminished in that regard. Second, as to the prejudice that Mr. Bankman-Fried claims that he would sustain, again, no evidence has been presented. And in that regard more particularly, the motion itself at paragraph 22 references that Mr. Bankman-Fried by and through counsel, submitted notice letters to various other insurance carriers, including Realm here. But no evidence has been presented as to what other coverage Mr. has uh, made claim to and may be receiving. In particular, we mentioned in our opposition, it's the committee's understanding that there is a $20 uh, d policy of a different debtor, Paper Bird, that does not contain side B, C, and D coverage. And thus, the issues that we're discussing today are not raised. But as I said, no evidence in the record in that regard at all. Now, of course, the court has great discretion and latitude in determining whether to lift the stay and in considering balancing the equities. The court can consider in this regard the charges and claims that are very significant against Mr. Bankman-Fried, his alleged complicity in the very actions that led to these bankruptcy cases, and the fact that three three of his closest executives have pleaded guilty to serious crimes. Those are all relevant facts before the court today. And that's even while recognizing, of course, that Mr. Bankman-Freed has the right to contest those charges and claims. But the facts still remain of what the charges are as we look at the balance of the equities before your honor. Finally, Your Honor, just uh, if the court is inclined to grant the motion, we would request that the movement be required to comply with Bankruptcy Rule 2016 and file applications with the court so that the estates can monitor what proceeds from these policies are being used and in what manner. So, unless the court has any other questions, those are the points I wanted to raise. Thank you. No questions. Thank you, Your Honor.
6: Good afternoon, Your Honor. Um, For the record, Brian Gluckstein, Sullivan, and Cromwell for the debtors. Uh, Your Honor, we filed a response uh, to the motion, Uh, as Your Honor knows. um, We share the concerns that Your Honor raised about the enforceability of the provision prevents us from objecting. Um, We of course understood the committee was going to be objecting to this motion. We thought it prudent not to necessarily get into a fight with the insurance carriers at this stage. Um well from our perspective, Your Honor, there are a number of points that Mr. Bankman-Freed has asserted um, that are inaccurate. Uh, Mr. Pasquale addressed a number of them, particularly how the policy works. And it is critical here, Your Honor, that the debtors do have coverage under this policy. We do believe it's an asset of the estate. And we do believe that the debtors today have claims under that co- policy with respect to side B, side C coverage. So it's not a hypothetical as to whether there's a, a real interest here of the debtors as the court is considering whether or not to grant state relief um, to mister banker Banking-free. The, the other point raised uh, and, and articulated again today with respect to the fact that we are, as the debtors, choosing um, certain current and former employees to indemnify and provide counsel to to cooperate with investigations is of course true and that's, this. uh, Mr. Bankman's papers make it sound like this was novel and new. Um, That arrangement was disclosed back in February um, and in the declaration provided by the Covington firm in connection with their OCP retention in paragraph five, um, it was disclosed very clearly that we had the debtors had requested um, that that firm provide services to represent, quote, current and former employees of the debtors in connection with ongoing investigations by the government, as well as related inquiries from counsel to the debtors and third parties. And of course, Your Honor, that's providing a benefit to the estate. These are individuals that have information, and they're sharing that information with the debtors in connection with the investigations uh, highlighted and walked through by Mr. Diederich earlier, and and with the government. Mr. Bankman-Fried is not in that camp. Mr. Bankman-Fried, of course, is not cooperating with the debtors. Um, There was a suggestion that we forced him to file this motion today. We did decline to enter into any sort of stipulation. This is state relief. We have no obligation to do so. Even if the provision in the policy is enforceable, um, despite the concerns Your Honor raises, it doesn't require us to cooperate with Mr. Freed. It simply states, the language states, that we would not oppose state relief, um, which we have not done. Um, we do think that uh, certainly the question, uh, the debtors, to be clear, have no intention of cooperating with Bankman-Fried um, on, on this or other issues um, at this time. Um, with respect to the question of you know one former officer director versus others uh, accessing the policy and we did raise this in our, our submission your honor uh, we do think that if the court is so inclined to access the policy that Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried um, should not get a leg up amongst uh, among the other potentially um, insured parties here today and so um, we certainly uh, understand and agree with the points raised by the committee Uh, But to the extent stay relief is granted, um, it probably should be granted for all at this point. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank
1: you. Anyone else wish to be heard before I go back to Mr. Schnitzer?
4: Mr. Schnitzer. Thank you, Your Honor. I'll be brief in responding. Your Honor, first with respect to what the committee said, they they used the word sharing and this was a word that they also used in in their motion which I wanted to highlight. they want to give Mr. Bankman-Fried nothing, and they want to give all the proceeds to somebody else, whether that be Covington, the debtors, or somebody else. Um, I don't believe that's the definition of sharing. I don't believe that's the definition of anyone of sharing. So I think if you truly want to do what the committee is asking, which is have this policy shared, the, 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 the relief sought should be granted. If, if it's to be in a stipulation where it's granted with respect to an individual insured, and then people can file their claims. Certainly, but sharing does not mean all the money goes to everybody except for Mr. Bankman-Fried. That's not sharing. Your Honor, I would also note this goes to their argument on terms of the prejudice to the estate. They're arguing basically that they'd be prejudiced because we would have access to money and they would have, the debtors or the other insured would have access to money at the same time. They're suggesting that basically the estate should get all the access to the money first and only if somehow after that there is left over then perhaps someday, years in the future, you should grant this motion. That, that is not what the body of law says on this, Your Honor, and I don't believe that's correct. Um, they also made a point with respect to indemnification, and I would just say, um, Your Honor, any payment of defense costs, and this is from the Allied, Allied Digital case, quote, any payment of defense costs will remove any indemnification claim individual defendants would have against Allied Digital, that works for Mr. Freed as well. Mr. Bankman-Fried does have a potential indemnification claim against the debtors. If he receives reimbursement from the insurance proceeds, that satisfies the claim, same as perhaps any of these other, indi- indi- other individual insureds have. Um, Your Honor, the debtors, again, made this point about these other parties, and I just wanted to state something clearly. They stated in their papers that we inappropriately sought the relief with res- only with respect to the payment of insurance proceeds to Mr. Bankman-Free. Again, Your Honor, from my perspective as Mr. lawyers lawyers, that's all I could do. Your Honor, I don't believe it's appropriate. I believe it would, in fact, be unethical for me to file a motion for relief from the stay on behalf of people who I don't know, I can't even identify their names, and who actually, I believe, are being represented by another law firm, Your Honor. I, I believe I'd be subject to, we'll say, lots of problems if I did that. So I think the suggestion that this was inappropriate, particularly when any party could have filed a motion at any time, including a few minutes before this hearing, Your Honor. That, that's not correct. Lastly, Your Honor, the committee suggests that this should be subject to some sort of FIAP. Um, in support of that, they cite to a 2005 case out of Ohio and a 2008 case from Florida. Um, notably, they failed to cite to any case from Delaware. Um, we have seen no case in Delaware that does that. I'm not suggesting that means they don't exist. As you know, PACER is not the easiest thing to search, so it's possible. I don't believe it's appropriate. I don't believe it's appropriate, particularly in this case. Mr. Uh, Mr. Bankman-Fried is a, as you know, is a defendant in multiple class actions and is is a target of multiple government um, investigations. If he had to file a FIAP setting forth what his lawyers are doing for him, you'd either have one of two situations. Either you'd have to reveal his strategy to the people who are trying to proceed against him, or we would have to essentially redact almost the entire invoice such that what you would have before you uh, would look like would look like a bunch of black lines is what it would look like. So Your Honor, I, 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 I don't believe it's appropriate. I also believe it shows really the true intent here and that's just to frustrate Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried's ability to defend himself. Not only trying to deprive him of the right to proceeds, but then trying to condition it, well if he can have a right to proceeds, he should have to file a fiat. Something that they didn't suggest with respect to any other individual. Um, something that doesn't govern Covington and Burlington right now as long as their fees are under $200,000. So it seems like this is once again special treatment for Mr. Freed. While in general I would say everyone likes to feel special, this is not one of those circumstances here where he should be um, treated differently. I, I, I would say this, Your Honor, if you do believe some type of notice is, is appropriate so that this court is aware and so that perhaps other parties are aware, you could do what was done in one of the cases cited by the committee, and that's the case in Reed Beach, First National Bank Shares, it's 451 BR 406. In that case, what the court said is, the insurer should review fees paid under the defense cost provisions of the policy to ensure that the costs actually relate only to the defense of the directors and officers, and that the fees and expenses were actually incurred and are necessary and reasonable, and at least five business days prior to dispersing any funds, they should notify, in that case it was a trustee, notify the trustee of the amount of defense costs paid. So basically what the court did in that case, is said, told the insurers, do your job, do what your policy requires you to do and what you were presumably doing before the bankruptcy, and right before, as in five business days, you're going to disperse fund, notify the bankruptcy estate that you're going to search, so that people kind of have a running total of, of what's being done. So if, if you believe that some type of, Notice is appropriate, so that people kind of know the balance. That I would suggest is, is a reasonable solution, which would not get into Mr. Bankman-Fried or anyone else's, uh, you know, attorney-client work product and just you know general defense strategy issues. Thank you, Your Honor.
1: Thank you. Um, all right, I'm going to take a recess here. Um, I don't know if there's any willingness or desire for the parties to talk to one another about a potential resolution here. I mean, the options are I open this up for, I lift a stay for everybody so people can assert their claim as it comes in and um, the insurance company will decide who gets paid and who doesn't. Um, Another option would be um, I don't lift the stay, but at the end of the day, at some point in the future, uh, parties come forward and say, well, this is, costs that we incurred at this period of time and so we want reimbursement under the policy, uh, something to that effect. Uh, um, The other third option is I just deny the motion. Um, So I don't know if, I'm going to take a recess so you can talk if you want to, Um, I don't know if I'm going to come back and give you a ruling right now, I may, I may not, Um, but let's take a recess for, let's take a recess until 2.20. And I'll come back on the record at that time. Yes, sir.
5: Your Honor, I rise only to correct something on the record. Jeff Sabin from Venable representing OK Coin and their affiliate OKX. And um, I am happy for this court's approval and for all the cooperation that we got from debtors council that led to the soon turnover and transfer to these estates of more than $160 million. But the information that was exchanged was all pursuant to a confidentiality. The motion itself and your order doesn't designate which of the two exchanges otherwise is turning back what money. The accounts themselves are identified in the motion. The order approves it. And so I don't want anyone on the press listening or anything else to say that it was OK Coin, as I think inadvertently Mr. Diedrich is referring to, um, that is returning this particular account that has roughly $150 million. I just wanted to correct the record. Okay. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Let's take a recess. We'll come back. Thank you. court? Your Honor, I think we've all agreed that, uh, at least the debtors and the committee have, and we've advised Mr. Bankman-Fried's counsel that we would just like a, a ruling from the court.
1: Okay. Well, in order to lift the stay, the burden is on the movement to prove cause. And frankly, I have zero evidence to establish cause here. Mr. Bankman-Fried did not put on any evidence whatsoever as to what um, the balancing of the equities here, what harm is going to occur to him. I don't know what other insurance policies he has access to. I don't know what other assets he has access to privately that would allow him to cover these costs and then recover them later under this policy. Uh, I have nothing to show that there was uh, cause here. Um, It was also the burden on Mr. Fried to prove that there would be no harm to the bankruptcy estate, and that has not been done either. Um, And finally, um, that he had the probability of success on the merits, and I have absolutely no evidence whatsoever on that either. So at this point, um, I have no choice but to deny the motion for lack of evidence. Um, I'll do so without prejudice. If Mr. Bankman-Fried wants to come back and put on an evidentiary hearing that we'll establish the elements necessary for me to lift the automatic stay, uh, he's free to do so, but we'll deal with that another day. So for now, the motion is denied. Uh, the party should submit a, or Mr. Bankman-Fried's counsel should submit a form of order denying the motion without prejudice, um, and uh, we'll go from there. Anything else before we adjourn for the
6: day? Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, again, Brian Gluckstein for the debtors. Uh, the only other thing on the agenda today, Your Honor, was still, was item 14, which was status the status conference in the emergent case. The parties did submit yesterday afternoon an agreed-upon stipulation I did see um, it, yes. that the parties uh, worked through since the hearing in March to address the issues that Your Honor raised at that hearing. Um, that is now agreed and executed, as Your Honor saw. Uh, saw. Um, we will be submitting that um, certainly in the FTX case and the emergent case, and Blackfire would be doing so in New Jersey in its case um, to get that formally approved by Your Honor um, as expeditiously as possible um, so that those stays can go into effect. Um, but I did uh, see, I thought, correct
1: me if I'm wrong, but I thought I had read that, that, that it's contingent on both courts approving it.
6: It, it. it is, Your Honor, to be effective, both courts. Um, so I probably
1: need to call Judge Kaplan and find out. He's going to approve it before. <laughs> We're
6: going to have to do it simultaneously, I guess. Uh, I, I, I know that. Uh, leave it to Blackfriars Council, but yeah, I mean, I think from our from our point of view, um, we don't, and I think Blackfriars is in agreement that there isn't any anticipated, certainly, uh, issues there. I, I wouldn't but, think but, so. yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, we will we will submit an order uh, to your honor with the stipulation, ask that that be entered. Um, other than that, um, I don't, unless there's any other matters in the emergent case that your honor wanted to address, I don't think there was anything for the parties today.
1: Okay. Thank you. And I, did you want to say something? I, thought I saw you stand up. Uh, I, I did, your honor.
6: Derek <laughs> Abbott of
2: morris
4: Nichols here for Five. Your honor, we're going to submit it expeditiously. Um, I think all parties would like to see it approved by both courts as quickly as possible, so we'll, we'll do whatever we can to make that happen. Your well, Honor.
1: If it's submitted under COC, I, I'll, and I can enter it right away under COC. I have no problem with it. I've reviewed it. Um, I think it's appropriate, and uh, I would enter the order. So um, once it's submitted to me under COC, I'll, I'll do that. Will do, Your Honor. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Thank you all very much. We are adjourned. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you.